Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Welcome back. Since the release of Slacker, 1991, I can't believe it's that long, uh, Richard Linklater has been one of our most innovative and diverse filmmakers from Dazed and Confused to Boyhood to the Before Sunrise trilogy, School of Rock, one of my favorite films of all time, 2001's rotoscoped animated Waking Life. Now, Mr. Linklater has returned to that style of animation with a 1960s period sci-fi real-life adventure film that is both a great film about being a kid and a great film for kids, and a great film for cool people who once were kids. It mixes reality and fiction with motion-captured live-action performances played under layer and layer of gorgeous animation. It's Apollo 10 and a half, and it takes us back in time to 1960s Houston. A young boy is tapped by NASA to take part in a secret pre-Apollo 11 test flight to the moon. It is a great pleasure to finally welcome Richard Linklater to, to the show. Hello, sir. Hello. Hi. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I, I have so much to ask about the movie. Namely, you finished shooting right before the pandemic began, right? You had a really nice period of time to assemble this in post. Gosh, so so lucky if that's possible during the pandemic. You know, I had friends who were, were in production or just about to start films. We wrapped like three days before everything shut down. So I never missed a day. I got to spend the entire pandemic working on this film, which was very fun because it's, uh, you know, it's just, it was a fun era to be, have my head in, if you know what I mean, the music yeah. and the story. It was just, it was a nice escape from current uh, events, let's say. So you were, you got to hide out the whole time in this pandemic, just working on the movie. Absolutely. This was what I did during the pandemic. Yeah, I was, I've been never been more grateful. I'm kind of grateful to get every movie made, but I've never been more grateful than this film that it happened when it did and the timing. Cause usually we feel victims of timing, you know, like, Oh, that timing didn't, work out. you know, this was rare that, Oh my gosh, the universe lined up. <laughs> and it worked for me for once. So uh, yeah. you, I know you had like a, a three week shoot, but you, you made it just in time. You had no problems with SAG flying actors in and out or anything like that. No, that was all coming at the end. Like one of the last days we shot, it was they announced SAG wasn't traveling actors. And fortunately, we weren't traveling anymore. I said, that's over. Once once actors can't travel, our industry sh shuts down once the liability. So, yeah, it, we started. There were no cases in the U.S. by the time we finished shooting they had canceled south by southwest our local right. big festival that was about to happen 
there still still weren't cases, but you knew it was nearby. People were start, you know, someone would cough, everyone would look over and go, uh oh, you know, it's like here we go. But yeah. we knew it, it was an awful feeling when you knew it was close, but it wasn't official yet. But you knew it was at the door. So we all said goodbye at our rap party and gave a hug and said, well, we might not be seeing each other for a while. Like it could be a few months. Who knows? <laughs> it, it, it's <laughs> remember it that like feeling. Oh, deeply. I've been doing this radio show from home for two years, uh, two yeah. years and two weeks at this point. Yeah. I forget how belts work. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, we've just begun doing stand up on the road again. So, yeah, it's it, but it seems like heaven for you because it wasn't just editing uh, the feature. You also had to edit the final cut and then do the animation. I, yeah. I'm curious how that worked. Did you edit to the final cut first and then animate it? Or did you animate it yeah. and figure out what you wanted to use? Animation is so time consuming. You wouldn't want to animate something. You would just end up cutting out. So you do, you make all those cuts and, and, and you edit it like a traditional movie. It looks very odd. You know, this green screen footage for performances, you know, kind of placeholder images of, you know, whether it's the moon or we, we have some newsreel footage or, you know, exact archival stuff that we will be animating. So it's this kind of pastiche of looks and feels. But, you know, you're, you're pacing a story, you're adding music and Jack Black's narration. And, you know, so you're making the movie, but it's just not going to look anything like this because everything yeah. we've shot, we're going to place into, you know, a more traditional animated environment that we have to create entirely in the animation so it, this is really different in that way than my other animated films waking life and scanner darkly where we did animate the the frame what was in the frame whereas this there was nothing in the frame except the person so we're we're dropping them into more traditionally anim you know traditional animation forms i guess you could say right those previous films you you shot them and then animated it but this you shot on green screen right yeah, every shot in it is it was like making a big Marvel movie or something. Every shot is like a special effect. Everything has to be planned. You're you're in a grid, a 3D grid if an actor steps out of line like the scene at the drive-in if they walk across it's like no, you just walked through a car there. You have to walk see that tape on the ground. You know, so it's a big fun make-believe world we're we've created, but yet it's pretty precise in its uh design, you know, kind of to the inch. So, I mean, and, you work with a lot of child actors in the movie. It must have been fun to to do that and explain, yeah. okay, well, you're looking over here to see the TV and over here is your mom. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're in a garage. You know, we put up props, anything they interacted with you wanted. But right. like, okay, raining outside, you're playing, you know, baseball in the garage or, you know, it was, it was kind of fun make-believe. The kids got with it and we just had, it was joyful. You know, it was, it was a really fun shoot, this it, family it, we created, you know. It seems it seems like it was. Do you like to rehearse with your actors when you can? Oh, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a big re rehearsal guy just because I I keep having ideas, you know, as I'm as I'm going. It's like the movie's kind of in process. It's it's becoming what it wants to be. And I got to just kind of ride it. And, you know, because the script is just to me, that's just the beginning. You know, yeah, it's not. You know, so and I really want to get to know the actors and see what they bring to it and tap into their particular humor, see how they get along with others. So, yeah, for me, it's always been a very open um, process, very process oriented. And I'm I'm going for naturalistic performances. So, 
anything that contributes to that, yeah. uh, I'm for. And that's a comfort a comfort level, I think, on the actor's part, familiarity and room to play a little bit, be themselves. Uh, both Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke have done this show, and they've spoken very fondly of how much they were able to mine from the characters because you gave them so much time to to play and to get the rhythms down. Yeah, I don't know why films don't. I guess it depends on what kind of performances you want. But if you want like a stylized performance, but I'm going for a naturalism that can only be achieved and believed by being so tight that it has to it has to be pretty tight before it can get feel loose and real. You know, you don't get that if you don't work very hard at it. I don't think. But it, so. but but it also seems been... that well, because of the way you shoot your films, I mean, they having not the burden of a gigantic budget that has to be kept on time all the time. It has. It seems like it's always afforded you a lot more chance to devote time to the performances, to the timing and the pacing of the scenes. Yeah, I've never. I'm rarely afforded a, a very large budget. So one thing you do have in this world is time. It doesn't cost much to get some people together and conceptualize it and make it better that's you know if you get on a set the the money faucet's open right <laughs> time yeah. is money but I, I usually my sets are very relaxed because i've got it all planned out i'm very confident that we just can if we just do it as well as we've done in rehearsal we'll be fine and usually we do it i'm going actually for like five percent better or finding mm -hmm. some new things but yeah it's just because it's the prep it's the hard work you put in before in an, in an effort to make it look fairly effortless, of course. Yeah, you know? of course. Like, I mean, like, it takes... Think of athletics, you know, the best athletes, they just make it look so easy. But no one doubts for a second how hard they've worked, not only their entire life, but up to the day before, you know, their practice, they're, they're continually fine-tuning everything. Even the best athlete is fine-tuning every element of their game all the time, you know. So why would acting and what we do be much different, you know. I mean, that's one of the joyful things about your film is the, the elegant simplicity of so many of the scenes. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I've read a lot of press saying this is sort of like a lot of elements of boyhood in this film with the kind of animation of Scanner, Darkly, and Waking Life. But I was curious, you're, you're more or less the same generation as the character Stanley in the movie. And oh, yeah. it, it, it is a lot about the 1960s, uh, you know, with the space race and Astro World. And, of course, like Waking Life, there's, there's plenty of eccentric Texans in this. How much of this w was you drawing on your own experiences growing up? Oh, very much so. I say, like, embarrassingly autobiographical. Yeah, unlike Boyhood, which was a contemporary film, using, I would say, the architecture of, of my life to some degree, this was really, it's what Boyhood isn't, you know, the period piece. And it was fun to make an animated film that's a period film, by the way, you know, the look yeah. of it. But, um, yeah, beat by beat. I was in second grade, not fourth, but I wanted to work with, someone who was like nine or 10, not, you know, seven, eight, just a little more maturity from the actor, but yet still youthful enough to maybe have such a, a kind of a fun fantasy, you know, before you know the way the world really works. Um, that's where I think childhood ends when you quit having those kind of fantasy <laughs> based on, oh, just everything you've kind of, what you could imagine versus you know, the, the physical reality of the world and your very, very insignificant place in it. <laughs> I think, I think, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, but that's interesting too, because 
Boyhood was so much about the the minutia of life. This film yeah. is about the minutia of life, but against the panoramic splendor and grand, grandiosity of the space program. And it's one of the many things about this film that I love is the contrasts that it shows, how lovely everything was and how horrible everything was at the same yeah. time. <laughs> There's a lot of extreme contrasts, for sure. And I, I just thought it was sort of funny that probably the greatest human achievement ever, the greatest engineering feat to this day, the most kind of miraculous thing we've ever created was to send someone, you know, to the moon and back. I mean, it's still, it's still mind blowing when you think about it. No, no humans been outside of Earth's orbit for 50 years. This That's was right. an apex. Make no mistake. This, this was an incredible achievement. But to have that be on par with, you know, taking out the trash and doing the, you know, just everything, watching TV, watching cartoons, you know, everything about your childhood, to, to get this extreme. Um, levels of total mundane and and grandiose mixed in with kind of a cultural critique, I would say also of the the dissonance in a young person's head that I felt at that time that I was so excited about the world, NASA at the top, but everything else, just technology was cool. You know, they yeah. were doing heart, open, they were doing heart transplants, they were doing, um, you know, just everything felt there was just new astroturf and dome stadiums. And it just felt like we were living in science fiction. And then the, so that all felt good. And then, but you were also told any second you could just be obliterated if the Soviets dropped, you know, one, yeah. if they dropped the, uh, the bomb on you, you know, if they dropped a hydrogen bomb, you know, it's, it's all over. And then there were a lot of environmental concerns and, even littering, it just seemed like the world with the protests, cities on fire, you know, assassinations, you know, it was a crazy place for a kid to process the late 60s. My door would swing it open in the morning and my sister would be like, oh, the Russians invaded Czechoslovakia. And I'm like, oh, okay. Does that mean, does that mean World War III is happening? What does that mean? You know, and then, oh, Kennedy got shot. I'm like, wait, didn't that happen a long time ago? Five years before. I'm like, no, Robert Kennedy. I'm like, oh, he yeah. got shot too what the hell, you know? And then I remember sitting in the living room and my, it came on the TV. I was just me and my grandmother and Martin Luther King got shot and she was just like crying. It was just crazy. She was so upset. I remember just being upset. And in the movie we show when the Apollo one, they had the flash fire and the, the great right. track of That's the Apollo. Program. Yes. Yes. Horrible. Um, but my mom cried, you know, these are, there were things that would come over the TV that your parents and grandparents would, literally cry about it was like wow the world was very volatile but it but a kid i don't know you don't it just that's the adult world your world is pretty fun it's beaches and baseball and playing and i don't know everyone deserves a childhood right but i mean <laughs> so. that's another one of the contrasts that i loved about the movie there there is the grandiosity of the period but it's really about just the miracle of being alive and the the simpler it is the more miraculous it is and it's about the joy of childhood but it's also about how everything sucked i mean the whole scene in the film with the grandmother is just giving doom and gloom about the future and just showing the legal child abuse of being paddled in school and your dad spraying the entire house with poison because someone saw one cockroach it's all about the contrast <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I go back to these years when people say, oh, it's a nostalgia thing. I said, well, nostalgia has a double edge there. You know, I'm, I'm at, there is a section of the movie I go, oh, this is sort of the child abuse section where yeah. there was a coach who would have you throw baseballs. If you made an error, you'd get pegged with a baseball. You know, things that are just, they put you in jail. You know, it's against the law to have kids in the back of a truck. You know, but there we were flying down the freeway at 75 yeah. miles an hour. You know, it just, you look back at your childhood and go, wait, that was kind of crazy. Especially once you become a parent, you become much more critical of your own childhood. And you're like, wait, what was, we were neglected. We, we would just leave in the morning and come back at dinner time if we had lunch at a friend's house or something. But I go, well, you know what? You could look at it as, oh, we were neglected generation, but it's like, you know, we we're also free range. We, we had a lot of fun. You know, you were on your own, but it didn't feel like neglect. It felt like freedom. Yeah. So, but bad things can happen, particularly as you get older. But as a little kid, you know, elementary school kid, it's it's kind of heavenly. But yeah, as it says in the movie, you know, like there was always punishment and pain, and you know, it was nearby. <laughs> it was always nearby. <laughs> One screw up, and you, you would definitely feel it. I look at how I'm raising my kid, and I'm like, my God, we were white trash when I grew up. And you actually address that in the film about what white trash is. <laughs> Yeah, the difference between redneck and white trash. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You, you <laughs> but, also, what yeah. I, oh, go ahead, please. Oh, no, it's just, it's amazing what was culturally acceptable uh, for parenting back then. And yeah. everyone, you shrug your shoulders and go, well, that's just how everybody thought. So if anything, there's a lesson in it for young, young people now who are, as always, so clear cut in their morality. When they look back, his, history is embarrassing, let's face it, you know, but you know, you're embarrassed for how people were, what people thought and yeah. what was the norms, you know? So it, it's just kind of a, it's a depiction of that, you know, it's well, like, I, let's give everybody a break because they were breathing different air, you know, at that time. One of the things I loved is how you, you address through Jack Black's voiceover as the adult Stanley, how all the excitement around the race to the moon was really kind of a means for the U.S. government to cover up a lot of problems going on, in, particularly Vietnam. And I was curious, I know you were younger than the child in the film, but do you remember when you first became more aware of this? Yeah, and I don't know if it was to cover up. It's like they declared, I mean, historically, Kennedy was the right guy at the right time to make this a goal. Soviets had obviously were out of the gate first. They were beating us in everything to do with, you know, rocket technology and everything. And Kennedy, a cold warrior, comes in and did something Eisenhower would never have done. As a military man, he, he saw no purpose in this Buck Rogers stuff of space flight. There, that didn't have a practical purpose in his mind. But Kennedy saw it for what it was, a symbol of progress for your for technological innovation and achievement. And I kind of, you know, it, it's timely and important that he threw down that goal for our, for our whole culture. And I, you got to do that. You got to think big and do it. So I, I really admire it and, and the way the culture rallied around that. But yes, at the end of the day, it was a Cold War exercise. That's why it was so funded to the degree it was. It, you know, it, it, it symbolized that, but we did win that. We, we won that Cold War and by gestures like this. And I think progressives, largely hippies of the time, anyone who was 
kind of counterculture looked at it for kind of what it was you know it's like wow that was you know this is military even the astronauts with their crew cuts and they were all navy pilots it felt like a military thing but that was lost on me as a little kid i remember certain older people maybe not being as excited as i was but i didn't really understand that till i was older but it, it's really fascinating and the debates lo largely lost because i think it was such an achievement it was something to be proud of not just for our country but for everybody it it, yeah. it worked it was, it was it's an amazing achievement by amazing people and i i, I kept thinking there, there's the constant i don't think we could ever achieve this again because we lack bipartisanship you know this thing sailed through administrations and it switched party you have kennedy starting it you have nixon ending it you know, it's just like no problem. There's not a whiff of partisanship at the time if you do the research. It, it, we were unified. We were a it's unified true. country on this front. Yeah. I kept thinking watching it that the only time we've seen Americans and Russians embracing and working together in the last month and a half has been on the International Space Station. <laughs> and, yeah, they, they just flew home together yesterday. Yeah, they brought an American home. I know, it's it's beautiful. When when people said, oh, are we going to have conflicts on not in space or I'm like, no, no, there, there's a camaraderie amongst astronauts. Do you know how special astronauts are? Do you know how unique they are? Mm -hmm. They're much, they're, they would not play those kind of games. Um, we mentioned it's been 16 years, I think, since Scanner Darkly, the last time you used the rotoscope yep. animation. Did you always, always plan from the beginning to animate this film or did it start off being a, a regular 2D feature? No, my when I thought of this in 2004, a long time ago, it was kind of live action. I think that's my default mode. But similar to other movies like Waking Life, it wasn't working in my head. It's only when I realized the literalness of live action is keeping this from working in a strange way. That's when I jumped to animation. I'm fortunate to understand animation, having done a few movies, to have that as a as a a color on my, you know, palette of storytelling, I guess you could say. Yeah. So once I started thinking of it animated, it got, it, it, it was so fun. It started working. So once you have that idea, you never can go back, but I did sort of exhaust the live actionness of it. And like I said, it just didn't work. The literalness yeah. of it and the, probably the expense to it would have been kind of crazy to shoot. And it was a lot easier to recreate Astroworld in, in <laughs> animation than it was been live not to mention walking on the moon and all that so yeah plus i, I, I like the way it works in your brain in the in the kind of creative part of your brain um the imagination that's where the movie should be perceived from you know so i i love that um stanley as a child is a big movie fan and it really gave you a chance to rotoscope <laughs> other films to rotoscope 2001 yeah. and the wizard of oz and watching a kid by the way explain the last 15 minutes of 2001 a space odyssey is one of the loveliest things i've seen <laughs> in cinema in a while oh and i it it probably felt like 15 minutes to the guy who's having to listen to his explanation <laughs> at the end of child it was probably only a couple minutes but i really did that i was so entranced when people asked well did you watch movies i said i saw 2001 when i was seven years old in the theater and I, wow. I, that scene is very real. I would try to, I understood it on some level and I would try to explain it to people. And I remember a kid literally running away from me as I was, he just got bored of my explanation. 
<laughs> but, so I said, I always thought that was funny. But yeah, that film, that's what the genius of that film is it works for a seven-year-old and it works for obviously, you know, an adult. So um, I always had that in mind. But it's, it is surreal to make an animated movie that incorporates other movies and talk about contrast, not just um, 2001, one of the greatest movies ever made. But, you know, there's some kind of lesser known forgotten movies and TV shows, right? As a kid, it's all equal. But watching 2001, to be honest about it, I think that had maybe a more profound effect on me physically, personally, than the moon landing. As much as I was into the moon landing, it was black and white footage. It was late at night. I was tired. I was in my living room. You know, all those things. It was another night in front of the TV where 2001, you're in a black, huge 70 millimeter screen. You're in a darkened theater. It was truly you know, you were truly transported, Yeah, you know, by um, cinema where the moon was domestic, you know. Although I will say in this case, NASA is really the, the hero of this film. It was the greatest um, non-military project ever undertaken by, by humans. And uh, it's really lovely oh. to see such a pro-NASA movie. NASA is the hero always because I just think they're the greatest government agency. I just admire them yeah. so much. They've just, and you know, they're so generous too. Their approach isn't like secretive and stuff. They're like, no, we're taxpayer funded. You can use that footage. You paid for it. Great. I said, well, I was seven. I doubt I was paying much taxes back then, but thank you. You know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, I I was like a kid, but, but that's their approach to their, the public is like, no, we're open. That's what we do. We, we, we're here for you. You know, I don't know. They're, they're just, they're, they're amazing. And I don't know. I've always, always just loved all things NASA. You know, you become a, once you're kind of a buff, you, you keep up with everything. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Let's begin. Um, before I start the opening rant, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's very moving to be here when I have COVID. I will say that in the last couple of days, we found out that uh, a lot of people caught it all at once. Merrick Garland has COVID, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Adam Schiff, um, uh, Matthew Broderick, and uh, uh, my God, who else? Uh, Joaquin Castro. So I, 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 I finally feel trendy, which I've never achieved before. I've always tried to be trendy. The lower back tattoo was a mistake, but at the time it seemed like, you know, maybe it would work for me. But um, before I even get even started, I, I wanted to 
remind everybody that uh, it was on this date in 1865 that Robert E. Lee surrendered to Ulysses Grant at Appomattox on a date that historians now call, you can't call yourself an American and still wave that goddamn Confederate treason white supremacist loser flag day. That is what they call it, by the way. Um, so maybe we should make this a holiday just to see some right-wing fascist head explodes, heads explode. But uh, I think a better day would be May 10th because, you, you know, if you want to really celebrate the Union victory, you could make it this day, the day that Lee surrendered. Or you could make it the 10th of May because that was the day that uh, they arrested Jefferson Davis as he attempted to sneak past Union troops by poorly disguising himself as a woman. I, I can't tell which one has a better metaphor, but as someone who loves America and doesn't like treason or white supremacy, I'll celebrate both. And I just also want to say, uh, if you've been watching as much Fox News as I have in the COVID ward, if these Russians kill any more civilians, the Republican Party and Fox News are prepared to respond with the most forceful and harsh condemnation possible of Hunter Biden. They will. The more Putin mistreats people and commits crimes against humanity, the more Tucker Carlson will make sure Hunter Biden pays. But I, I got to talk about these revoltingly fake Christians. It's the end of the week. It's my favorite subject because I don't really know how the Democrats are ever going to get a handle on American fascism until they take away their camouflage the revoltingly fake Christianity of the modern Republican Party. I've said it many times when we have these folks call up the show. And hello to all the right-wing guys who listen here to get angry. I, I know that listening to this show until you get so angry, your heart rate goes up, counts as cardio for some of y'all. Um, but we always invite our right-wing friends to call because I like to ask, please name one teaching of Jesus, just one, that Donald Trump or the Republican Party have fought for in the last ah, 40 years. One teaching of Jesus that Donald Trump is not the opposite of. One teaching of Christ from the Gospels, from that part of the Bible, that guided your vote for this pussy-grabbing racist who wanted to bring back torture and turn away refugees. You can't, because the only thing Jesus and Donald Trump have in common is that they both hung out with prostitutes and they both used ghostwriters. But they'll always say abortion, 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 even though the Bible's not against abortion. But that's what Christianity means to right-wing people in America today. You want to put women in jail for something that Christ never spoke about, and you want to pretend you're better than everyone else. And really, the two issues that come to mind right now are abortion and guns. Two issues that the right-wing is lethally, lethally antithetical to Jesus on. Let me explain. First off, uh, Star County, Texas. This has just came out in the last couple of hours. Uh, a woman was arrested and charged with murder to, uh, yesterday after authorities said she performed an illegal abortion on herself. Her name is Lizelle Herrera. She is 26, and I hope she is about to become very, very famous. I am sorry her privacy has been taken away from her, but she has to have assistance. She was arrested in connection with a self-induced abortion, according to the Star County Sheriff's Office. Um, they decided to pursue the arrest after they found out she intentionally, this is their words, intentionally and knowingly caused the death of an individual by self-induced abortion. Not a lot of other details on the case right now. She's being held on $500,000 bond. 
This is a poor woman who could not terminate a pregnancy and did not want to bring the baby to term. But the state is forcing her to do it because that's what happens now in Texas. Governor Greg Abbott has taken a very hard anti-abortion stance and passed legislation banning the procedure after six weeks. So she tried to do it herself. You'd better get really, really used to stories like this in the state of Texas, in the state of Idaho, in the state of Missouri, and as of the beginning of this week, in the state of Oklahoma, and many more. Again, she's been arrested and charged with murder for, of an individual, even though the Bible says life begins with first breath in Genesis, even though uh, in Exodus, God makes it really clear that uh, he values a woman's life more than a fetus's and that a fetus is property. Oh, yes, he does. That's, that's, that's right there in Exodus uh, 21, verses 22 to 25. Um, even though, well, uh, <laughs> I, I could go on. God gives very detailed abortion tips in Book of Numbers, but nevertheless, she is currently in custody at the Starr County Detention Center for killing an individual, something the Bible and science would disagree with, uh, she faces a surety bond of half a million dollars. This is after Texas passed Senate Bill 8, which keeps women from having abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy. It's being challenged in court, as you all know. It will go to the Supreme Court, as will Mississippi's backwards abortion law. And quite possibly by this August, we'll know for sure if this is going to be the new normal. I want to remind you that um, Jesus never mentions abortion. Jesus opposed the death penalty. In the Sermon on the Mount, he opposed the death penalty. Jesus stops an execution and says only sinless people can execute. And meanwhile, the great state of Texas, which just arrested this woman for murder, they've executed 573 humans in the last 40 years. Um, but I, I, I also want to talk about guns because this doesn't get enough coverage. Uh, the right-wing Christians... They love themselves some guns. You, we all know this. And you might wonder, how can they do it? But in the wake of another mass shooting in Sacramento this week, I want to give you a new Bible lesson for the day. And this might come in handy for Christians or atheists or sane people of any faiths or agnostics or whatever you are. Because, you know, right-wing Christian gun fans have new ammo in their fight to prove you can be a follower of Jesus while you also enjoy weapons designed to kill lots of people in a short amount of time. This verse is, you'll get used to hearing this, Luke twenty two thirty six, Luke twenty two colon thirty six. Go search it on Twitter right now and see how many thousands and thousands of Christian gun nuts are quoting Luke chapter twenty two verse thirty six. It's a mantra for fun loving, gun loving, father and the son loving Christians. And whatever you think of organized religion, you will encounter this talking point. It's part of Luke's account of what happened to Jesus right before the Roman soldiers came to arrest him and throw him in a Roman prison and execute him on the Roman crucifix, or as Glenn Beck calls it, killed by the Jews. It was the Romans. The only Europeans in the Bible were the ones who killed Jesus. But in Luke twenty-two thirty-six, Jesus tells his apostles, He that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. And they quote this every time there's a mass shooting, to say, you should have an AR-15. This might surprise some of y'all who don't remember the part in the Bible when Jesus turns water into whoop-ass, but go ahead and search Luke twenty-two thirty-six on Twitter. Tons of right-wing Christians are throwing this around like the last part of the Second Amendment, conveniently forgetting 
about the well-regulated militia part, and it suits their taste just fine, as long as you don't put the rest of it into context. Right? They'll never talk about the well-regulated militia part when they read the Second Amendment, and they'll never talk about the real story of Luke 2236. And they're saying this means Jesus is pro-gun. Sell your cloak and buy a sword. AR-15s are the modern-day sword. Let me, please bear with me, and let me indulge myself on explaining, because what Jesus is really doing is talking about a prophecy and being a criminal. He's about to be arrested, see. Uh, And he says, uh, as he throws down this line about buying a sword, he adds, they only need to have some swords because the prophecy says they're supposed to be criminals. For I say unto you that this is written, must yet be accomplished in me, and he was reckoned among the transgressors. You got that? It's not Jesus saying, sell your cloak and buy a sword. (laughs) You got to read the whole thing. You got to put it in context. He's not talking about defending yourself. He's talking about having a sword as a prop so he can get arrested. He has to get arrested to fulfill the prophecy. And the very next line in Luke, the apostles say, hey, Jesus, we already have two swords here with us. And Jesus says, oh, that's enough. So he never sends them out to buy swords. No one ever buys a sword. In fact, when the uh, jack-sandaled government thugs swoop in to arrest him a few minutes later, you know, Alex Jones's wet dream, it's Peter who pulls out his sword and cuts off some guy's ear. Does Jesus join the fight? No. Does he defend himself? No. Does he arm himself in any way? No. He heals the wounded guy and tells his friends, those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. In other words, my Judeo-Christian friends, Jesus never comes out against owning swords in this verse y'all keep quoting. But he's pretty serious about never using them. Of course, if Jesus had an AK-47, he could have mowed down the Romans, never been crucified, never had a religion named after him, and none of us would have to know who Pat Robertson or Tommy Lauren are. So please remember, the best weapon for refuting Bible thumpers tends to be the Bible itself. And the good thing is, you don't need to believe in the Bible as literal fact to thump Bible thumpers with the Bible. Because the only way you can cling to both the Bible and a gun is if you totally agree to not read the Jesus parts. Here endeth the lesson. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's go to Joe in Connecticut, who's been on hold forever. Thank you for your patience, Joe. 
Absolutely, John. How are you this evening? I'm John, doing I good. wanted Thank to you. call. I wanted to let you know that I've listened to this show from the beginning. Oh, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? Is everything all right? Are you? Are, I mean, is your family still? Fine. John, okay. I've never called, and I've oh. never listened to it live. This is the first time. Oh, so wow. I wanted to try to speak for those of us who listen and will never call and will never hear it live and say, what a great job. Oh, great Lord. job that Thank you do. You. And Chris up down south does. Chris, Second not so much, but I do a great job. I will agree with that. Chris, you know, he right. means well. He means well. I'll take it. I mean, I don't even try. So, yeah, I mean, Chris, Chris is yeah, Chris is drunk most of the Chris time. Chris doesn't even and try. There's Chris pills and he drinks. It's depression. You know how it is. Yeah, it's it's, oh, it's a lot of substances. Thea, Thea is the adult in the room, and she's the youngest of all of us. So it's just it's a sad thing all around here. But thank right. you. I'm so honored. Thank you. I, I love that you actually called. Thank you so much. I, you know, there are a lot of talk shows, but for some reason this is unique, and I can't quite find out how. <laughs> well, so, maybe so because I'm doing it on work release. You found but something unique. Well, thank you. You know, honestly, I'm I'm so blessed uh, to work with Chris and Thea. Uh, I've been blessed to since we launched this thing seven years ago. I've only had great uh, producers, Neil and Jorge and Tatiana. I've only had great producers on the old channel. But honestly, when they when SiriusXM first. Um, made the offer to me to do the show, it was weird because someone said, uh, hey, let the chimp throw the dart. And the chimp threw it, and it landed on my headshot, and that's how I got it. But I, I said in the beginning, um, I wanted the format to be three formats in one. I said, I want to do like um, like NPR-style interviews meets political talk meets um, early Howard Stern, where a bunch of comedians are just sitting around goofing on the news. And um, we haven't been able to have a ton of panels since COVID started, but uh, it's just been okay. so great to work for a company that lets me play whatever music I want and say whatever we want and uh, and have whatever kind of guests we want. And I'll any channel that'll let right me have re- guests ranging from Tyler Perry to Trent Lott, from Chris Christie to Bernie Sanders to Julie Andrews, it's it's a blessing. So thank you. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, it definitely works. Now for one quick, quick political issue. I'd like, to, I'd like to suggest to everyone listening, is that when you take a look at single Republican issues, and you're right, the day that the, we think that both parties are the same, it's over. Yeah. Because they're not, and they never will. In some ways, we in some ways, they're too close. And when it comes to, like, you know, private money, corporate money, there, there's, there's a lot of things there. P- pushing the drug war still, a lot of things there. I mean, there's, there's a lot of areas where we have to drag the Democrats into the 21st century. I've never belonged to the party, and I have my reasons, and, and I think they're still too similar in certain dire ways. But come on, this is not, this is not, 19, this is not the year 2000 with Ralph Nader running against Gore and Bush. We can't say right. they're the same at all anymore. I, I will say this, is that when, when, we, when we stop taking a look at this on separate issues, yes, I know guns, black issue, health care, all the important issues, and we stop, stand back, and look at it again, and we recognize this as a 40-year plan. This is a plan. Every part of this puzzle connects to each other. It begins in 1982, actually probably before that, at Yale Law School and the University of Chicago in the beginning of the Federalist Party. Yeah. That's in my mind that we started packing the courts. We ended up with Mitch McConnell. My friends, this has been a long, slow walk against democracy itself. So it's, it's better for us as individuals and it certainly is better to explain it to our friends who 80% of them don't care. We need to help them. Yeah. If we can somehow, and I think you do this amicably wonderful, if we recognize that this is 
a plan. Yeah, it has been for a long time. I mean, Ronald Reagan was a joke for many years. Back in the 70s, he ran for president three times before he won. And when Roe v. Wade was passed, nobody was all that outraged at first. But they knew if they spent the right kind of years getting white people angry about the right kind of things, they could take over the government by having an unholy alliance between revoltingly fake Christians and the most awful robber barons of Wall Street. And we've been dealing with this my entire life. I I agree. And I, too, John, I think we're roughly around the same ages. And you remember, if you need to check this, if you need to check what I'm saying, ask yourself this. Why did you have Citizens United? You mean you're going to put money and you're not going to know where it's going to be? Why do you have people with managed care and health care who are who are trying to go through the back door to steal your Medicaid? It's happening right now. Those are the little tests. If you need to know that, well, we ought to band together, listen to things like on this show, we ought to realize that our opponent is strong and it's a plan. And it's been for a long time. Let's organize and let's get it together. John, great show. Holla. Thank you so much, Joe. Call up more often. We could use this. Thank you very much. I'm going to make my parole officer listen to this exact conversation. This is good for a podcast, Chris. Thank you so much, Joe. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.